This is the good, the Baz, and the ugly. I'm the Baz. Well, that no, I'm Baz. That sounds weird if I were going around calling myself the Baz. Anyway, uh, look, this podcast is filled with uncensored interviews with experts in particular fields or real-life stories from people who have inspiring personal tales to tell. It covers various topics and life stories that I've really dug, you know what I mean? And I think you'll dig them too. Just so you know, this podcast is for grown-ups. It may contain adult themes, sexual references, and strong language. Fuck yeah! No, I just wanted to. Sheet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Hold it now, wait, hold it. I know you're gonna dig this. I think the best thing for me to do is to introduce him. What the... What's his name? Baz Ashwami. It's not Baz Ashwami. It's Baz Ashmawi. Welcome, everyone, to the good, the Baz, and the ugly. This is episode. You know what? I don't really, I don't really know, and I don't really care. Do but you know? no, wh- why put the stress of a numerical diary on listeners? I understand number sense is an important construct that separates surface level understanding from subject mastery, Mahi. But, 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 do, but, but do the li- listen. But do the listeners really need the added stress yes. of your numerical punctuality? Is life not hard enough? It doesn't matter. Episode 14. Is it episode 14? 15. Episode. If I don't keep track, no one keeps track. Tell me. 15, it's 16. 19. 19. Damn. Damn. Do you know what season are we on? Yes, three. I'm not a complete moron. Three. It is three, right? Yes. Yes, yes of course it is. Okay, look. Um, it, this week, no John John. John John Vamoose, as John John uh, took a little holiday, which he probably very much deserves. So, with no internet. With no internet. So, so this week, it's just me and my sister, producer, confidant, sniffly, sniffly faced little sister. Why do you look like you fell asleep on your face for a month? You think I slept well, but I didn't. No, you don't. <laughs> you, what, what's going on with you? I'm, I'm struggling with hay fever. Is it hay fever? Is that what it is? You look like you've been hit in the face with a trout. Oh, no. thanks. It's very flattering to hear no, that from you. No, but no, no, it's but but of course, sorry, just to understand, you don't, you don't, you don't get hay fever in Egypt, surely, do you? No, dust fever. Dust fever. Asthma. Asthma. So it's a toss-up. It's between hay fever in Ireland or asthma in okay. Egypt. Take the hay fever. Best of the two worlds. Yeah, listen. Um, I think I'm going to jump straight into it this week. Is that all right? Let's Is that all right with you? I'm going to do. Let's do it. This week's episode. It's a very interesting interview with, with a sex worker. Uh, I feel a lot of people feel like they understand the life of a sex worker and, you know, that they've made up their mind. Finito, what more is there to know? But that's, look, come on, that's bullshit, right? How can you? Because every experience is going to be different. What you think, I suppose, because you think you saw, what, Pretty Woman or you read some article in the Times called Lady Nightworkers, you understand what it's like. You can't, it's not possible, right? So instead, I just want to talk and take one story instead of generalizing. I just want to take it for what it is, one isolated experience to give me a better understanding of being a sex worker. Um, I chatted to Kate McGrew. Kate McGrew is a sex worker, an activist. She's an artist. She was the director of Sex Workers Alliance Ireland, or Sway. Um, Oh my God, I very, very, very much enjoyed our conversation. I'm not. You're not the only one with a cold, Mahi. And um, I very much enjoyed our conversation. It was. It was so interesting. It gave me a very fresh perception uh, of what it's like. Um, a needed one. 
I really, really love chatting to her. Um, and I think you're really going to enjoy listening to her. Um, this is that chat. Kate, I'm so, I'm so excited. I feel like the first time I got to interview a pilot, I was very excited as well, or a professional gambler. And now you, I, God, I, I, how are you firstly, I suppose? Good. I'm pretty much a pilot, you know, Amelia Earhart, <laughs> something. You can liken it to that. You're you're in Ireland, right? Are you American? Are yes. you are you Irish? I am. You're American. No, I'm American, but I've been here thirteen years now oh, wow. at this point. Okay, yeah. wow, wow. Because I was laughing earlier on because I was talking to Mahi and Mahi's like, Do not take the piss and I was like, But I take the piss with everyone. And she was like, Please do not, do not. And I was like, <laughs> and then I was thinking, I, I was like, I got so many questions. And I I know all the typical ones you probably get all the time. Like, like, <laughs> uh, what's your real name? And how much do you earn? And all that shite. So look, I'm sure I'll get to all that, right? But I suppose first things first, um, what brought you to Ireland? So I came here on a holiday with 15 members of my family. It was really one of these sort of back to our roots trips, you know, in 2008. I was living in New York City at the time and we came here and I basically met somebody who gave me the opportunity to quote unquote stay longer and experience the real Ireland. And I took him up on it. Like I, I literally did not take my plane trip home. Oh, wow. And, and that was it. You just decided this is it for me. I'm going to stay here. Yeah. I mean, I something about it. I just really felt like... Um, this was a good uh, trajectory for me in that moment. And, um, and then my housing situation changed in New York. And I said, okay, I'm going to do what I'm doing for a while now here in Ireland. And then things just sort of took off for me. And tell me, what was your background? Like, what was your, what was your family life like? Was this, I, I know that sounds really stupid, but was it, was it normal enough? Did you move around? Did you, like... <laughs> Yeah, no, it was very uh, normal. I think uh, more families are normal than we realize, just because there there's always some um, there's always some funny and challenging stuff, you know. But um, but I grew up in a small town in Ohio. It was a college town, and um, and it was a really nice childhood. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. Because I, I say father. that like normal, like I had a normal childhood. I didn't. My dad was married a fucking load of times and left, and you know. So like right. when I say normal, normal, I mean traditionally is what pe other people would perceive. So. Um, and then how long have you been working as a sex worker? How long has that been? So the first time that I took any jobs in the sex industry was in 2002. Where were you then? New York. You were in New, in New York. York. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What was your experience with sex up to that? Well, um, a lot. <laughs> I will say a lot, which is why uh, working in the sex industry, it, it was so interesting that immediately it kind of helped give me uh, boundaries around my sexuality and my sex life. And it made me take it more seriously. And I started to learn a lot and basically just grew up really fast in regards to my, my relationship to, to sex from having to work professionally. But um, yeah, so I would have um, happened to have had a bit of a wild um, lifestyle at that point. And, um, and I suppose the word would be a bit promiscuous, you know, fun loving people, uh, people person, however you want to call it. Yeah. But um, so it wasn't without the scope of something that I might consider anyways. What age were then you was, then? Do you remember what age you were back then? Yeah, so I started working when I was 22. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. 
Mm-hmm. It's young, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's young. Like, because I, 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 I get what I get what you mean. Like, because I suppose sexually at that age, and if you're liberated and everything, like that just seems it, it's it's a big move to decide I'm gonna. Like, did you have a think to yourself and go, God, I'm really good at this? I, I, or do you know, was it, was it like that? Do you know what I mean? Well, what's funny is that when I look back at my life and my experiences, I was traveling a lot at that time too. And there were many experiences. Now I look back on them and I go, oh, that person was trying to pimp me. Oh, that person was trying to pimp me. And sometimes I knew and sometimes I didn't. But so it's almost like for a while people were seeing it in me. I mean, I, I remember the well, first- Well, I'm gonna stop uh, you there because you're gonna get away yeah. from me. <laughs> Tell me what pimp me means, because because I I when you say pimp, I think a huggy huggy bear or someone and a big hat and a jacket. And I just what does someone try to pimp you? Someone trying to get you to work for them as a as a um, an sure. escort or whatever. Yeah, basically it was mostly people just being opportunistic. They saw in me that I would probably be up for it. And so um, and so that seemed like a, an opportunity for us to essentially work together. But I remember the, the first sex club I went to was in New York City. It was this very old school club called uh, Hellfire. And this guy um, named Justice took me there. And... Um, and we went and, and it really just opened my eyes. I mean, I remember I went and I sat down next to this woman. She was like an older trans woman and she had these long needles coming off of her fingertips and she was kind of like poking my nipples with them and everything and, and we were kissing and stuff. And I remember I, my mind was immediately blown because I, I suppose I had thought of myself as mostly heterosexual up until that point. So to suddenly be sort of, aroused and curious about something um something completely different was exciting and intriguing to me you know and then um later in the night i remember there was a sort of table and um and i was on the table and essentially men were sort of gathered around me and um and a bouncer came up to me and sort of uh, made his way in and was just asking me, are, um, are you okay? Do you know, do you need anything? And I just remember feeling overwhelmed by how sweet and safe that was. So how did you Mind move from New York to, to, to Ireland? Jesus. Well, I mean, you can imagine, like I, I left the club that morning with Justice and he just looked at me and, and he said, girl, you are sitting on a gold mine. I mean, he, he really was trying to go, look, if you're sort of inclined to be willing and enjoying this kind of thing, you might want to take it seriously. So um, I ended up working in the House of Domination then in, for years in New York. Tell me what's House when of I, Domination. Is that a club? Is that a... Is that sure. A... No, so this is a, a term, they call them dungeons or houses of domination. They're fetish houses. Yeah. So the house that I worked in, all of the clients were there uh, with fetishes. So it wasn't, it was even a legal place actually. Um, so it wasn't a sort of straight up full service brothel. In fact, the men did their own releases, but it was all very, essentially very kinky stuff. So it was really, really, um, just a wide variety of stuff to, to have opened my eyes to right away. But I came to Ireland and was doing other kinds of work when I first came here. And then I was, frankly, um, I missed it. I missed doing the work and I was also sick of being poor. Mm. 
because it's yeah. it, I suppose it's that thing as well as you can earn a very good living doing it I, I imagine yeah yes you can you can yeah I mean people charge obviously a real wide uh, range of prices and um, you know I'm always encouraging people to charge as much as they uh, can are you coming from a very specific area like dom- um, dominatrix is it that is that your kind of niche is, yeah. is, is there niches no, even it's or not. Is- I mean yeah, I look, I love um, role play and things like this. You know, I frankly, I particularly like to be submissive as opposed to <laughs> to dominant. But I will do all of these things, you know. I contain multitudes. So I'm, I really, what is exciting to me is what's exciting to the other person. That's what makes me light up. So I, I love to indulge people. You know, girls in dungeons used to be so frustrated when men would come with these, you know, seven page scripts. And I was just like, give them to me. This is so exciting for me, especially as an actress, you know. And um, so I got a lot of clients because I could tell how much I just really would get right into the yeah. character. Wow. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me this. It, I, this is I just it just popped into my head. If you were traveling to airport control, what would be in your bag that wouldn't be in a normal person's bag do you carry anything in your uh, like anything with you at times that you think god i hope no one fucking opens me bag right now is there is there certain things that you i mean it's a problem you know because i do of course but um it, it does be what gets people stopped at borders and detained at borders you know so it's um you know unfortunately you know, I would like to be in every space that I can as honest as I can about about what I'm doing. It's helpful that in Ireland I work legally, but you know, Kate, going that's to what America- I was confused mm. about. What is the what is yeah. the what is this situation oh. legally? It, it is legal. I mean, it's it's so convoluted and unhelpful, and uh, and damaging really. So you can work legally if you work alone. So for me to sell sex is legal, uh, but if I have a friend in the apartment with me, that is illegal because they call that a brothel. Even if it's only two of us working independently, nobody is making money off of us in any way, they call that a brothel and that is illegal. Okay, so so sorry, when you said alone, I was thinking, at least, at least what <laughs> I'm doing is legal because it's basically me on my own having sex. So it's, uh, what I mean is, is it, is it you? Is it you and the, whoever the client is? That's fine. That's okay as long as there's nobody else. Is that the, is that the scale? So for me, it's okay, technically. Yeah. Uh, but for the past three years, they've criminalized the clients. So for the first time ever, um, clients are now criminalized as well. But, you know, part, part of what's interesting is that it essentially ends up that we're uh, criminalized too, either directly or by proxy, you know. So we have, we have such an amount of um, heightened then secrecy around what we're already trying to achieve regards to privacy and everything. But, you know, people get kicked out of their workspaces and they, they have their children taken off of them. And, you know, you, you can challenge um, these kinds of discriminations, but so often people don't. They don't have the space or the time or want to to be known 
in, in that way. I mean, that's the thing. Even if somebody's working perfectly legally, at least you don't want Gardee to know that you work because they could camp outside your place and take your clients, which are your bread and butter. Yeah. Like, you see, the thing is, I, I, like, I know from living in cities like London and I've been to New York and mm. places like that, they're vast. You're talking millions and millions mm. of people. So you can kind of disappear away into the ether of, of a mm. city like that. Somewhere like Dublin mm. is pretty tight, <laughs> right? It's pretty small. It It's yeah. hard to have, like, a, 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 is it nearly like a dual personality thing? Or, you know, I, I shouldn't say that, but mm. like, I don't no, know if you go a, by Kate all the time. Is that the name you go mm -hmm. by all the time or? or? I, I have had other names, you know, and I loved having other names. Um, like I said, just I'm, you know, I, I'm an actress, so I love that kind of thing anyways. But listen, once I was out, I was like, I need to make it easy for people to find me yeah. <laughs> just like that. You know what I mean? So yeah, Kate is my name. But, um, you know, Ireland at one point, Monto was the biggest red light district in Europe. And then in the 20s, the church came in and kicked women out of brothels and onto the street and into Magdalene laundries. And then in 1993, they ended up making it illegal to work outside. Um, it became more violent for against uh, women. We were able to repeal that law to make it legal to work again outside. But again, it's it's um, it's not helpful enough when our when our clients are are criminalized, um, there's just so much stigma and so many material consequences. Because what is the stigma? Like what's like I, mm. I, I have an idea what the stigma is, but what do you think yeah. the stigma is? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's so many things. Um, I, I think nearly the worst one is this sort of sense of false consciousness. So because it puts us in a bind of even when we are being listened to, we're not being believed because they think that we don't know what's good for ourselves, that we are too uh, traumatized and brainwashed to, to have an accurate understanding of what we're doing and why. And other than that, they either perceive you as a criminal or a victim. And right now there's this move towards perceiving us as victims and it's not at all more helpful. I mean, stigma calls, comes in all different ways yeah. to a degree. I mean, you have to let it roll off you like water off a duck's back. Uh, because people will say, obviously, I can only imagine. I can really, yeah. I can only imagine what. It, like, tell, break it down for me. Is there, is there different types of sex workers? Like, there's mm. a girl who's on the street, or a guy who's on the street, or there's like, how do you, how do you market? Is that sound fucking ridiculous? Mm. Like, how mm. do you, what, what, what category do you go into? Or has the internet has that just changed everything? Is mm. it a completely different thing now? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is that um, more than our differences, there are so many commonalities. So, you know, somebody might work outside because um, you can work outside any day or uh, nighttime. Um, you, it, it's, it's the quickest and um, it's the fastest way to make money. There are literally no overheads. Um, and, and oftentimes people are working there very hand to mouth. They're working for monies for their hostel that night, etc. There's also, you know, there's a, 
in, in a way, they have a degree of safety that people don't in other places because their friends see the car that they get into. You see the person immediately. So for some people, they choose to work that way or it's the only way that suits them um, regards to whatever else is going on in their life. You know, other people like myself, I tend to work in hotels and I prefer that because it feels uh, safer because I like the comfort of it for, for so many reasons. But even me, you know, during the pandemic, I moved my work online, um, except for the occasional car meets, essentially. You're zooming like everyone else, are you? Oh, absolutely. Really? But Baz, listen, it's so, I have been fascinated myself how it's actually so uh, hot. Like I, I hot? Did you say it. hot? Oh, hot. right. <laughs> oh, that's very. Why? What, what, what makes it? What makes it hot? I'd feel. Yeah, go on, go on. <laughs> I know. Listen, because I feel like because um, the the ability to touch each other is removed, it kind of brings people out of themselves into this more kind of like uncomfortable but uh, you know sense with a, a space with a lot of frisson where they're having to sort of show and tell so talking and showing and you are communicating with a person on camera so it's actually uh, a different kind of there's intimacy. a safety there I suppose for them not to, to act a little different than they usually would I suppose yeah but I mean but for, for some for so many I think clients and sex workers it's not as comfortable they like the interpersonal private dynamic they don't it feels more exhibitionist uh to work in this way but i'll tell you guys there there is a client who um then this one struck me the most it's like because the video chat is one thing and i really enjoy it but then there's also even phone chats and and sexting so i had a client the other day who he wanted me to sext with him so we're just tech sexy texting yeah but he wanted me to uh, pretend to be his ex-girlfriend. So I was to, he said, do you mind if I call you? And he said her name. I said, no, not at all. And then he launched into all of this really um, sort of personal stuff about their their history, you know, saying things like, I, um, I always enjoyed that after you came, you seemed very vulnerable, but I liked holding you in those moments. And I was just responding, saying, I was always so grateful to you for those moments. You really cared for me. And all these things, and we're having this really beautiful interaction yeah. that is a sexual interaction for, for him. You know, he's getting off as, as well. But after it, he, he just said to me, I, I thank you so much for not only doing that, but for doing it with commitment, because it truly was therapeutic for me. Because you see, this is what I wonder, right? Because there's a certain element where I believe it's probably <clears throat> a sexual need, right? So I, there's, there's a stereotype, right, that people think of. They think of the fat guy in a suit um, who's, <laughs> you know, uh, drinks too much yeah, and he's, too. He, he, you know, he's fallen on top of you and falls asleep in the corner or something like that, right? So there's that kind of image of, of the... But what, what is your client list? You know, what, what's, what, what's, what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, if the stereotype is that there are, you know, fat and smelly and old it's because most men are fat and smelly and old yeah you know like call it as you see it do you know what i mean <laughs> Listen, yeah if i were to cast a net on the street uh it truly would be 
all the men included there. Wow, okay. It just is a cross-section of men in society. It's students, it's widowers, it's single men in their 30s, it's married men, it's people who are socially awkward, it's people who have physical disabilities. I mean, it really is... It really is all, all of the above. Because I think that's one of the stigmas. I think there's a belief that it's a certain type of person. But mm. you see, as much as much as they're coming to you for um, and the experience, right? I wonder mm. where the lines start to come into just like pure fantasy. Do you know mm. where, where it's not even like you're wondering how sexual is it rather than... Because mm. it's so much more, isn't it, than just, than just sex sometimes. It must be. Generally, like people often ask about the comparison of therapy and and sex work, and I, I find it kind of a funny one because, in a way, um, yes, uh, it is therapeutic to um, to have a kiss and a cuddle and an orgasm and to be given compliments. Um, you know, we we are basically being the best version of ourselves in that room, the best date and lover that you could have for that hour or that night, you know. But um, but the most thing, people are there to sort of escape their problems, for it to be an oasis for that. So it's like sometimes, yes, you do be hearing from people about their struggles, but, um, you know, I feel like a, a really good therapist would probably take you to the dark place and keep you there and keep you uncomfortable and unpack that for you. Whereas we're more or less just trying to um, soothe them for an hour and give them a break from that, you know. I suppose just because of that physical connection. It's funny, I've lived in places like Thailand and there's an attitude to sex, right? Even the French have a different mm. attitude. If you have like a mistress, mm. it's like... It's, you know, it's Rianne, it's nothing. It's, it's like, it's, it's second nature, you know? So like, I suppose, is there, is, is there, a, is there a point where it's confusing for them and, and even sometimes for you? Like, because mm. it's such a, I suppose to me, it's such a personal thing. So that, mm. you know, if I'm that connected with someone physically like that, and especially the fact you're playing the perfect woman in this perfect date you know mm. like they must just and i suppose that's you being good at your job is that they just fall for you completely does it mm. happen the other the other way around as well do, do, have you have you found yourself kind of falling for people it's a funny one because um it does happen often that i'll shut the door after they've left and i feel this lovely sort of pinch around my heart um, for the sweetness of it and for, for the sweetness of what happened in the room. You know, part of why I do this work is I, I do find sex so fascinating because, yes, it's a basic human need, but it's also very artistic. You know, it, it's, it is an art without people realizing it. So kissing is artistic. Blowjobs are a fine art. But it's like, it's like the Basquiat of fine art because it's like the sloppier the better, you know. But um, I think it's because of this sort of um, artistic um, aspect of sex. It's, it is the only art where people are also completely unself-aware about it. And so I think that's part of what makes it so relieving and so cathartic and so rejuvenating, but also what has the capacity to create a bond. So that being said, within work, 
part of what people I think in the wider society can learn from, from sex workers and, and part of why, for example, we are not a threat towards um, uh, families or relationships is because the boundaries are very tight. What we offer is very tight. The transaction is very clear. So even though my heart pinches for, for particular clients when they leave, and I might think about them on Christmas, and I really look forward to our sessions and, and enjoy the conversations that we have at dinner and just laughing for hours together for overnights and things like that, it's, it's really clear, especially when you meet in that way, that um, that it begins and ends there. And, and tell me this, regarding your relationships, so is that difficult? Mm. Can that be difficult for you mm. to have a normal relationship with someone? Mm. Uh, do you, mm. like, I suppose you have to share that information with them, or do you, or...? or... Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. and um, I mean, I personally couldn't be in a relationship with somebody who didn't know. It just wouldn't suit my disposition, you know. Um, so uh, it, it is challenging. I've been very lucky. You know, have they been lucky or have I been lucky? <laughs> it definitely takes a special kind of person. It takes somebody who has a very strong sense of self and can deal with um, whatever jealousy might arise. Again, obviously, the sex with my partner is very different from the sex with, with clients. Yeah. But um, And everybody deals with it differently. You know, I dated men who needed to know when a, a, kind of a lot about what happened, and I, needed, I dated men who didn't want to know anything about what happened that day at work. So everybody figures, funny, figures it out themselves. Because my missus, she, 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 she worked in catering for years. And she, she just can't cook at home now. She's just, she can't even be arsed to make a spaghetti bolognese. She's just like, she's so over it. Do you get, do you get sick of sex? Do you, do you just go, oh, Jesus, do you know what I, like, I'm done, no way. Yeah, I mean, I think um, obviously there is just sort of the, the technical reality that if you've been at work, you've had a long day at work, you might actually be tired yeah. when you go home. But it is sort of a running joke that, um, and this kind of thing, um, is used against us often, but we find ways to navigate it. But that the joke is that, yeah, we can sometimes be a bit uh, lazy <laughs> and uh, selfish in our personal sex life. Well, you're, because you're, 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 your partner so or your boyfriend are probably delighted because otherwise, you know what I mean? They're probably thinking, geez, okay, I don't have to do handstands or you know what I mean <laughs> you know what I mean it would be that pressure in your head if you were dating someone like that um tell me tell me this what's a typical day for you what's how does a day work like is it mm. do, do you have a diary for the week and it's locked off or, or mm. what does it look like so I'm continually trying to um to tighten up a routine and to stay disciplined around it as much as I can. But the reality of this kind of work that's, um, especially this kind of work that changes so much now that um, almost entirely I work online, um, it's, things are changing so quickly that you do end up working a bit ad hoc. You know, uh, last night I had every intention of going to bed early and there I was shooting porn and producing porn to put on my escort fans page until four in the morning. And these kinds of things take uh, a lot longer than people realize they do. 
Um, but, um, you know, so it's, it's, um, it's definitely a bit, it can be a bit uh, scattershot, but you have to, I mean, it's anybody being self-employed, really. You know, you have to have systems that work for yourself. It is a lot of admin and a lot of waiting around. It's, then it's a lot of cleaning and a lot of preening. But um, every day is different. Yeah. Explain, to, tell me this. What's the most wild or interesting thing you've learned as a sex worker? I mean, something that has been a good life lesson for me. Again, I said when I started working, it, it helped me to um, get serious and kind of grow up around um, myself and how I carried myself and safety around um, my body and, and, and mine for that matter, you know. So part of that lesson, I think, is, has been that um, now I feel very lucky in this way. Some people go to work and they, they put on a completely different personality. They do a fantasy. Sometimes people find that exhausting to play somebody else. For me, what I have found will give me the most longevity in the industry. What leaves me feeling even better than I did in the beginning of a session, at the end of the session, is presenting the best version of myself. Okay. So part of that is that I feel like I've learned to interact with people outside of work um, as if they're clients. And, and what I mean by that is, um, it sounds like a funny thing to say, but it just, for me, has manifested in me discovering my own unique style of decorum. What type of, <clears throat> not to get caught up in it, but what type of fetishes do people have? Is there any things you've got? No, you can, because I imagine these people have to be in a very vulnerable state to say, oh, do you know what I'd like? I'd like to do this or do that. And, and is there anything you've thought, fuck no, I'm not doing that. Or is there, is there common fetishes? There are, I mean, and, and I think what, what happens so often, and it's why people come to see us as well, is because they feel like, oh, surely I can't ask somebody to do this with me it's too weird or something and it's not you know what i mean i think again what's interesting about fetishes is that um particularly when they get kind of edgy people um perceive them as sort of uh creepy or or um just um sort of dangerous even in a kind of way but like i mean part of the way that i like to describe it is that there was this client that i had in new york and what he wanted me to do was wear a mini skirt and high heels and sit on a chair. And he would lie under my feet. Mm. And I would, with my high heel, press on his cock and balls mm. and pretend I was steering a car. And what he wanted me to be doing is pretending that I was hitting and running over animals. And for whatever reason, you were hitting roadkill on the road while road you, you were using him kill. as the pedals. Ru Seems completely normal to me. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I've never heard of that before. Is there? Yeah. No, and he and and this is the thing. He um, to other people, maybe vegans or something, they find that very sort of uh, creepy and off-putting. But for him, he was just extremely curious 
and um, sort of delighted and mystified by it because he was like, I, I don't get it. I love animals. I would never want to run over an animal. But, you know, and it could be something as simple as is like when, when he happened to be a young man and happened to, you know, be a bit hard in the car or something at the same time that he saw roadkill or they hit an animal and those things became linked in his brain. I mean, th and then it became, you know, part of a thing about um, women and their power. I mean, these things sort of... Uh, they manifest out of the smallest things, right? It's funny, <laughs> I'm talking to you just for a little while, right? And already I'm automatically thinking, do you get worried? Because I, I kind of, I'm thinking now, because you're, you're, mm. it's such a vulnerable situation to be in, to meet a stranger. Mm. Mm. And I know you could, ha you could have regular clients who you know, and there's a safety mm. there, and you, you know, mm. but... But do you get do you get worried sometimes? Is it is it can it be mm. scary? Yeah, I mean, I'm <clears throat> I'm not uh, foolish about the fact that I'm having somebody come to my door, a complete stranger that I don't know who they are. I, I do what I can to have my safety precautions, and we do have them. You know, we have buddy systems. We have numbers that we can call. We have um, <clears throat> we have a certain amount of kind of looking out for each other. We have things that we sort of um, have around the room in case there's trouble and things like this. So um, I'm realistic about that. And it's not like it ever leaves my mind. Um, but overwhelmingly, people are there to, to just um, have a nice hour, have some sex, and then leave, you know. And, um, you know, that's the thing. The people that would, uh, that wish to do us harm, they are, um, they're definitely, for example, not deterred by this new law that criminalizes clients just for being regular clients. Because these guys who aren't regular clients, who want to rob or hurt us, they already knew that that was illegal already. There is a lot of workplace um, physical uh, violence that happens to nurses. Mm. You know, I mean, these things do happen in other environments. And it's part of the reason why we're like, uh, you know, bare minimum, we need to be able to legally work with a, with somebody else in the room. We, bare minimum, we need to be able to hire somebody to watch our door, to be right there Yeah. if, if there is a problem. But that's, that's as good a reason as any for legalization, mm. isn't it? We had um, two sessions planned. Um, one of them got postponed because of a flood and I think the other one because of a snowstorm or something. It was so cute. But um, they were self-defense sessions for sex workers. So we were going to have people come in to teach sex workers, um, you know, self-defense moves that are specifically for sex workers. Like, you know, moves to do when somebody is behind you, for example, that kind of thing. Things that are very specific to, to the kind of situations that we would be in. Is there a community? You have a community of, of friends and, and co-workers and you, you, you converse and support each other and do all that. That's, that's, that structure is there for you? We do. We have to, you know. I mean, in, in the middle of a global health crisis, arguably, uh, we, we are people that should be very high up on the vaccine list because if we are overwhelmingly exempt from the PUP um, payments, etc., people were being forced to have to go back to doing this very physically intimate 
labor. So we were forced to crowdfund, um, tasked with, I should say, crowdfunding a hardship fund to disseminate little bits of cash to people. Again, we have sort of safety networks that we talk amongst each other. Um, but it's part of the reason why, why I think it's so important to move our conversation off the fringes and into the mainstream and into people just understanding. We're not asking you to say that you um, like prostitution or, or would want to do it yourself. We're merely saying we need to be afforded the labor rights that so many other people are. You know, the, the fishing industry in Ireland is, is rife with exploitation and uh, trafficking. And it's like, if anybody needs uh, to be able to unionize more than anybody, it would be sex workers. You know, our, our industry, there's so much potential for exploitation because the only options that we have are on the black market. So people end up with exploitative bosses because there's nobody else who's legit. Because it's easy to, 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 to your regular punter, I think they see it as a dark world. Do you get me? Like it's, mm. it's associated sometimes with drugs, you know, maybe it's because of drug mm. use or something like this. Or mm. like what you said, like um, someone who's um, been taken advantage of or misled and you said things like... Um, uh, trafficking, you know, these are all very, very scary terms mm. to throw around. Mm. And this is what I think a lot of people have created as their image for what they see as a sex worker. Like, I mm. would have previously thought it was a short-term career. Do you know what I mean mm. by that? I would have thought, mm. you know, I, is it like, <laughs> is it like mm. you're working on the stock market? Do you just get burnout? Like you've pretty much got mm. a couple of years and then you're, you know, like air traffic control. You just can't do it mm. anymore. But for mm. you, it's not that, is it? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, I think it's it's uh, such a funny fallacy that, you know, oh, it's a young woman's game and everything. I'm like, you are not paying attention if you think that's true. You know, I'm a far better sex worker at 42 than I was at, at 22. And, Are you 42? Um, you don't look 42. Yeah. Well, Are you? well there you. you go. Yeah, whatever you're doing, keep <laughs> well, it up. Thank yeah. you. You know, but um, so to say we have a shelf life is, is really kind of missing the mark, you know, to say that, you know, pornography celebrates only certain kinds of bodies. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. Port if you really watch pornography, that's where you, that's where you see. The, oh, no, um, no, no. But I, you see, I didn't mean it like as in physically, because listen, mm. there's someone for everyone out there, right? You, all you have to mm. jump on Pornhub and you can see like there's, you know, everyone's into something. But yeah. I didn't mean it like that. But I just meant <sighs> mentally. Is, is it, yeah. you know, is, is there a limit mentally to how long you could, or are you just in a groove and you're like, no, this is my career and I've, I've found a way to have mechanisms and, and um, you know, I'm in it to, you know, yeah. earn a certain amount of money to invest, to do what the things that I want to do, yes. or, you know. That is, of course, what, what um, many, many people are doing, most people are doing, to put themselves through school, to get a house, to get their day-to-day -day, uh, living, in whatever they need day-to-day, by day-by-day. -day. You know, um, for myself, you know, I, you know, I moved to New York and people say, what did you do in New York all the time? I said, I was researching life because I moved there to perform and then I started doing sex work. 
and became, you know, uh, overwhelmed with this, um, with this world and really just got right into it. You know, it's now that I've moved on from Sway that I'm able to get back to my work as an artist. You know, that is my career, but that doesn't diminish the, the fact that I found value in the work that I did and will continue to do. I'm happy to do sex work for as long as I, as long as I, you know, want to basically. Tell me this, what's, what's the best and worst thing about the industry? Uh, the worst thing is the criminalization and the stigma. I mean, cause it just exacerbates all of the problems that we face you know i mean the best things about it would would um would differ i think person by person yeah for for me it would be just the sort of um e expression sort of escapism in it and what's the reaction the people part of it what kind of reaction do you get kate when you tell people like i know you like you don't have to most people i have friends i don't even know what they do for a living to be honest with you but but mm -hmm. like when you do get into it with people what's the <clears throat> what's the the knee-jerk reaction yeah, I mean, I, I try really hard in conversations with people to sort of uh, respect where they're coming from or where they're at. And um, because I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to shock or make people uncomfortable. Um, but I, I also don't want to talk about it in an overly flip or light manner and not acknowledge that not only is it a contentious issue, but suddenly we, we're starting to talk about something that's quite personal. Mm. I mean, like when you when I think about speaking with my family hearing me speak, it's one thing for them to be sort of worried about my safety and this, that, and the other thing, but it's also just the good old fashioned uh, embarrassment of my mom having to essentially hear about my sex life, yeah. you know? So when I talk to, I, I do try and bring it up. Um, so you're open with uh, your parents, they know what you, yeah, they know, they know what yes. you, for, for a long they time, do. they knew that? Yeah, they do. I mean, when I was on Connected on RTE2 um, five years ago at this point, um, I came out to my, um, to my parents uh, on camera, which my brother and sister were very mad at me about. But it's because I knew that it was going to end well and I wanted people to see that it can go that way. You know what I mean? So um, That's brave. So yeah, That's yeah. brave to be mm. like that, Kate. Isn't it? I mean, it is brave. Yes, it is. And I, I mean, I suppose it's it's more like, um, and, 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 and I'll be honest, some people thought that it was um, harsh, that it was unfair to my mother. But I just felt like, you know what, I know my mom, I know our relationship. And honestly, if, if, if every single activist was was never willing to rock the boat by having uncomfortable conversations well then change would never be made you're a professional sex or so, so do you do you do your taxes do you do taxes i do you better believe i do because people ask me all the time my lucky accountant has been given <laughs> a stream now of sex workers who are um needing help with their taxes so um of course there 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 are a lot of us who want to pay our taxes for a number of reasons but um but there are so many barriers to doing that you know um again it's like um it's it's a little bit complicated because now half of the transaction are partially uh, illegal right yeah so it's really complicated but um and people have they do have trouble with their mortgages and stuff like that now again these are things that people could push back on but um 
you know, a lot of people for understandable reasons aren't up for that or have the space or time or money to, to fight back. Tell me this, explain Sway to me because I, mm-hmm. I've heard you mention it, but I don't know what it is. Sure. So Sex Workers Alliance Ireland started in 2009. Um, Teresa Whitaker was a spokesperson at the time and an absolutely formidable woman sticking her head above the parapet in what was a much more hostile climate. So it was the first time that it it was a group of academics and um, professors and researchers. And um, they were discovering that in their research of the key population, as we call it, they were finding that what sex workers were saying they wanted and needed was not what was the common uh, discourse. And so at the time, there was this uh, campaign uh, to push for this model that we have now, which is criminalization of the clients. And so they were really trying to raise their voices wherever they could to say, this is not what sex workers want. It's not what's going to help them be safer. It's not going to prevent them from entering the sex industry. They need viable alternatives. They need supports. They need removal of barriers to interacting with guardie and support services. So that's how Sway started. I became part of it um, during the time that I was on that show connected to get a bit of support because I knew I was going to be outing myself. Mm. So um, at that point, we did get the opportunity to incorporate. I had been in the media talking about sex work um, in the first person perspective once a week. It made sense for me to be the director. Because you're very much an activist for it, aren't you? You're very much you're very much an activist towards it all. I have to be. You yeah, know what I mean? Right I mean, that's the thing. It's like when when I was connected to Sway, it was so interesting because I, I you know I had worked in the sex industry, and I I had um, been an activist. And in a way, in New York City, you know, I don't know, fighting against George Bush or whatever it was at the time, the Iraq war. But um, but it didn't occur to me to fight for labor rights. So to suddenly be part of Sway and to say, hold on a second, we can try and help people understand why this makes sense and why um, it's, it's really the sphere that we need to be talking about sex work in terms of us being able to be safer, marginally safer. Have you moved away from them now? Are you, are you? Yeah, just recently, just recently I have. So, and I'll be working to do activism adjacent. You know, I, um, I just today signed up as an independent activist uh, with National Women's Council um, as part of their feminist change makers um, program. So, you know, for, for years, NWCI wasn't accepting Sway as a, as, a, as a member. And when they finally did this year, uh, I wanted to walk through that door and be able to make the conversation um, in the room at the table. Um, uh, Sway at that point decided that they didn't want to uh, join NWCI. So it, it made me feel um, like, okay, you know, I've been here six years. It, it, it takes all kinds. Mm. If um, if they want to agitate in that way, uh, some of us need to be moving uh, towards having the difficult decisions and towards the places where people are still disagreeing with you because that's how you build the bridges. What's your reaction from women? Are women supportive? Are they? Do they respect your power? Do they? they are they supportive of you, or are they? Do they go the other way? 
it's sort of eternally frustrating the the way that um, it does tend to be women arguing amongst women mm. because um, when we're all acknowledging that what we're looking for is better outcomes. So, you know, I mean, I think that's why Ireland is inspiring. I mean, Ireland came from, you know, the Brehan laws and the sort of um, paganism and women having this power and Monto being the biggest red light district where at least sex work was tolerated. The church came in and, and changed everything. But this all happened relatively quickly. And we see from the repeal movement how once people were able to listen to each other's stories, um, from first-person perspectives and recognize and see and acknowledge the humanity in each other. I mean, it takes a lot of humility for people to change their minds on topics which are really serious and really personal feelings to people. And I give Irish uh, people and society and culture so much credit for, for being um, that big of people. <laughs> Obviously, after you explaining everything to me, you're a woman of many, many talents. Um, what, mm. What's the other stuff? So right now I'm writing a book. Um, it's coming out with Mercier Press. So that'll be a very um, uh, page-turning beach read coming up here. Uh, What's at that some called? Point. Uh, not going to tell yet because don't quite know yet. <laughs> so, good, um, good, 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 yeah. So that's in the pipeline. Great. Um, I, I have a new show in the pipeline as well called Horrorcore. And music, music, getting back to making music. Do you think because <laughs> of what you do, it's given you financial freedom to do to do more things to, to to pursue things that you're interested in or that you have passion for right i mean that's the thing it's like sex work was my is my day job you know and i, I say it's my day job too because i don't like taking uh drunken clients etc you know so i do that oh, so you literally time. work a day you don't work nights you're like a taxi driver no. i know called joey Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He doesn't do the Tell night Joey shift. to call me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you probably know Joey. If, if, yeah, if yeah. I know Joey, um, yeah, no, but but yeah. So so that's interesting. That's interesting. I suppose it's yeah, it's whatever you feel safer in as well. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've solved how kinky Irish people are though. Very. Very right. <laughs> we'll leave it on that bombshell. Very. Um, Kate, you're a legend. Hey. Listen, look. Thanks. Oh. Thanks so much. Will you stay safe and will you look after yourself? I will, of and, course. Um, I will, of course. I'll be keeping an eye out for you uh, and and uh, your book and everything else. And I think you're, I think you're great. I really genuinely, great. I think you're brilliant. So, uh, um, thanks so much. Mm. Thanks so much, Baz. And um, uh, have us on any time. You know, I'd love <laughs> to speak with you again. Yeah, yeah, we'll do, we'll do. Take care, and I hope your mother will read the book as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, like... Oh, good. Do you know, at this stage, there's very little that could shock her, but we'll, we'll see. We don't want you, that, you, to, be, you might just want that be the, to be the end of her, though. Uh, you just <laughs> might be the thing that does kill her in the end. There you go. We'll wait and see. Okay, thanks a million, thanks really. So much. Thanks so much. Wasn't she great? Yeah. I told you. She was brilliant. She's so interesting. Like, really interesting. Uh, what do I think? What do I think? What do I think? Okay. Um... I think in a time where people are so very, very vocal about accepting everyone, sometimes I find it feckin' strategically loud, as if it's to suit their own directed and somewhat projected narrative about themselves. Uh, 
announcing to the world their own personal fucking wokeness, I feel we should be a bit more, I don't know, um, genuine. I feel maybe I should talk a little less and listen a little more. Be open to understanding and listening to what certain pockets of our society are trying to tell me. You know, I, I should stop assuming I know it all. And I might be surprised how much I have in common with these people. I know if I had a loved one with additional needs or a disability or just anyone whose situation left them excluded from some of the more, what would we say, physical experiences of the the human expedition, uh, I wouldn't begrudge them taking on services to help them. If those services are provided by obviously consenting adults uh, of their own free will who have adopted this age-old and very niche profession as their way of life, who am I to judge? Wouldn't it be nice if it was provided in the most safe and clean and legal environments we can provide as a society rather than peering down through parted curtains? Do you get me? Yeah. It's the oldest profession in the world for a reason. I don't know. That's what I think. Um, listen, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please follow, subscribe, review, five stars, and share. You know, you can tag us in your listening. Uh, get in, uh, in touch on social media. You can always get me on Instagram. I'm Bashmawi, um, B-A-S-H-M-A-W-Y, or Bazashmawi on Twitter. And if you have any, like, episode suggestions, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, obviously, nothing is off the table. Uh, I'm going to play you out with Kate's, or, sorry, <clears throat> Lady Guru, as she goes by, uh, and her track, Sixes. It's it's out there. I like it. Uh, would you expect any less from this lady? Uh, and this is the clean version, just to let you know. Um, as always, uh, from myself and Mahi. And John John. As well. and, and John John, who's not here, not but. Here but He's here. You're very sweet, aren't you, to think of John John like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, as always, good looking. No, that's my fucking line. Come on, we'll do it together. One, two, three. Good luck in the cup. This is for sixes. Yo, yo, I'm not sorry for the dissonance. I'm only dissident in politics. Put me on the floor. Consent is sexy, but we play. You got the final word, Lord, I prayed. Oh my God, be my father. King, swear to God, I'll crawl to kiss your ring. My remit, how I see fit to delete. So deep, it's me on my knees till you reach in. Pull up the seat that you're breathing. Pretty, come get a snack, you believe in. Got me squirming at my, watch me come. Disconcerted under duress, so fun. Spun out, lost, draw in. You get me undone, I'm undone. Christmas, lifted on weed until the sex gets twisted. Ripped this, bereft all the analysis. Can't tweet no more, can't explain my sick. What I know is so good, well, good, well, well, good. Controversial before, now ruined. It'll take away our right to vote for what I'm doing. I'm a bad, shall I teach you a lesson? Or in the bedroom, I better be flexing. Dissonant story of oh my pervert all revert to syllable sing I hit the bass